Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 90, the one about the moth storytelling book, zero-click search, local online presence, and the film Knives Out. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another recording of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. We are back for more news, tech, content and wisdom from the world of marketing. Joining me, a man on a mission to keep marketing simple, the author of Cat Smarts and Marketing Plans and the voice of the Marketing Fans Podcast, I give you Mr. Roger Edwards. Oh, thank you so much. And of course, I'm joined by a man who's also on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast all the way from France. Please welcome Monsieur Pat. Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you very much, everyone. This is episode number 9090, Roger. Wow. We are 10 <laughs> away from the big 100. I, honestly, Pascal, when we first did this back during the first lockdown, I guess we did this as a bit of fun. It was it was partly to just give ourselves some a little bit of um, fun, wasn't it, during a fairly bleak period. And I never thought we would get tonight episode 90 and obviously aiming for the big 100. No, and you're right. I, I think I'm going to say it was entirely to do with uh, essentially fighting back a sense of despair and loneliness, <laughs> yeah. really, to be honest yeah. with you. Uh, it all began, some of you will know, where you and I would talk to each other almost daily via uh, Facebook Messenger or the phone. And then I think either you or I said, we should record this because yes. <laughs> well, we used to cheer ourselves. Oh, we used to laugh a lot. I mean, Denitra said to me, I, I could hear you laughing from upstairs, you know, with, with Roger. And, and then it, it all began there. But um, listen, I've done some numbers because this being 90, quite an important milestone. Yep. So people know that we have a number of segments. So in the news today, we'll be recording 720 pieces of marketing news. Wow. Content Spotlight, that's 180 content from articles to podcasts. Marketing Tech and Apps reviewed over 360 apps, software solutions, and video marketing kits. This week in history, we have mentioned and commented on over 560 historical events and anniversaries in the world wow. of science and tech. Creator shout-outs, over 180 content creators got their shout-out. And in film marketing, we'll be reviewing today our 88th movie. Now you're going to say, I got Pascal, this is episode 90, why 88? Well, simply because for one of the episodes, we talked about Disney Plus and their launch into the UK market, and we had to review No Time to Die Twice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, when you think back, you know, 88 films... That is astonishing, isn't it? I mean, 88 films would take you a good few weeks to sit down and watch them back to back. Yeah, that's not particularly reasonable, is it? Or sensible. <laughs> but um, talking of which, it was your turn to select um, you know, the, uh, the movie for film marketing. What do you have in mind? Okay, so this week we're going to be talking about Knives Out. Now, Knives Out stars Daniel Craig. Um, obviously, everybody knows Daniel Craig as James Bond, but the character he plays in this film is as far from James Bond as you can possibly get. Interestingly enough, the co-star is Anna de Armas, who also starred in No Time to Die. She was the um, agent Paloma in the um, in the uh, Cuba scenes in No Time to Die. So there's a familiarity there, but that's where the familiar familiarity sort of ends, Pascal. Mm. It is a traditional whodunit. 
a little bit in the style of Agatha Christie, you know, not dissimilar in style to a film Death on the Nile that we've reviewed here on the show in the past. I don't think I really want to say any more other than I'm really looking forward to sharing the marketing with you. Likewise, and I must also let you know that I need to represent viewers and listeners who have not seen Knives Out because, to your surprise perhaps, I haven't seen the film yet. So I'm looking forward to discussing the marketing as a result of which I I reckon I'd be quite looking forward to watching it. But please, if you can, no spoilers. Absolutely. And I have to say, Pascal, it'll be hard not to spoil (laughs) it. So I really will need to think very carefully about what I say. Super. Well, before we get to the marketing, for the natureth time, let's begin the show with In the News. Here we go then. According to Google UK, consumers are taking control of their budget with search terms such as cancel memberships, cheap recipes, discount supermarkets, energy saving tips and refurbished phones. Well, still in the UK, 58% of consumers are planning to cut their Black Friday spending this year compared to last year, and clothing is taking the lead as the main type of product. Consumer group Witch analysed 214 Black Friday deals and found that 209, i.e. 98%, were cheaper or the same price at other times of the year. Mm. Mm. While YouTube has published a 67-page best practice podcasting guide, Roger, while Spotify has released video podcasting to over 180 countries. I also noticed that, podca- uh, that Spotify have also launched audiobooks this week as well, which is quite interesting. Adobe will also be launching Adobe Podcast, their AI-powered audio recording and editing online solution, and you can register your interest on podcast.adobe.com. Disney and Snapchat have launched a new AR lens to help promote the new Avatar movie. People using the filter will see their faces transformed to replicate characters in the movie. And the Walking Dead TV series is now over, and during its final episodes, the fans were treated to an advertising stunt that saw four characters who died in the show return as zombies in ads for five different brands. It was so good. Now, Kia's rebrand has left many wondering who KN is. The scrunched-up <laughs> font led to over 30,000 searches for KN Car from people trying to figure out whether they missed out on the new car company. <laughs> so Pascal, what did you think of the last episode of Walking Dead? It did not feel like a finale to me, no. you know. It didn't feel like a payoff and Listen, I'm very, very aware that people do have this feeling that the series um has been too long. I'm a sucker for good zombie <laughs> movies, so I happily carry on watching it. But yeah, it didn't grab me to the tune to like maybe up to season six and seven, and then I just carried on at, at all sheer loyalty. But I was looking forward to a real payoff. Mm. And in fact, what, what I got was in the context of Two Geeks and Marketing Podcast, what I thought I had was a marketing ploy to simply tease, uh, you know, tease us for the spin-off series. So we yeah. know that, um, the character of Michonne and Rick are going to be together. We're going to have Negan and so on. It's going to be all those kind of three, four different spin-off short, you know, form series coming out. And I thought that was just not a good move. You know, you, you have all the means, ways and means to market the spin-off series, but don't essentially exploit and literally kind of like a bull in the china shop, you know, use the finale of all finales. I mean, all the fans have been waiting forward to 
the reward of following the Walking Dead for 11 seasons. And I felt just a little shortchanged, not just a little, actually, a lot shortchanged. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it was a, like a 23 and a half episode buildup. And then the resolution of the Commonwealth um, storyline mm. was almost very rushed. I mean, the whole let's blow up everything at the end thing was just where the hell did all that come from? And they even narrated it, which I felt was an absolute cop out. I did think that the, and we're probably giving spoilers away here, but I imagine most people listening to this will have seen it. But I thought that the Rosita death scene was really quite emotional. Mm, and agree. I, um, I just thought that was probably one of the, the most well-acted scenes in the series full stop. Um, I think it should have finished with Daryl on his bike going off into the distance. I didn't like all that Rick and Michonne stuff at the end. I thought that was so blatantly tagged on. Mm. Um, it, it just, I mean, even if they'd pushed it after the title sequence and made it a post-credit sequence, I would have felt better about it. But I agree. Yeah. I don't really like. I didn't really like the way that that that, that finished. If it had been Daryl going off on his bike to some apocalyptic style music, I think that would have been a better ending for me. And then what they could have done, which they did do during the pandemic, is you could have done a surprise bonus episode mm. with, you know, the, the, what you saw. So, yeah, but listen, uh, in the context of in the news, the reason why this item is interesting is all to do with um, advertising in the context of what you're advertising yeah. within. Yeah. So I thought the, um, obviously, in terms of storytelling, the advertising agency is called Maximum Impact, if memory serves, owned by Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. And he's a guy that understands storytelling, that can really pull all the right strings. And what was interesting, the reason why it made the news in a marketing world is that you had five different brands that worked together using you know, a um, central theme. And asking, you know, characters from and actors from the, the season to be essentially the, the spokespeople or the spokes zombies for uh, essentially pretty serious um, items such as computing and, and, and so on and so forth. I, I thought it was just a good example of contextual advertising, as is the case. And, you know, you could say that the Disney and Snapchat partnership is interesting. And then contrary to Kia, in an attempt to modernize its look and, and feel, the brand is not readable. And literally, uh, it could be, you know, people, if you saw the photos online, Roger, it does read KN and not, and not Kia at all. Yeah, there's, <laughs> it always makes me laugh. I mean, it reminds me of when Aberdeen Asset Management <laughs> rebranded themselves as a burden, as it, they still say it's pronounced Aberdeen, but it's just A-B-D-N, isn't it? A burden. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's just playing around with letters. But I guess that if it gets eyeballs on screens and it gets people to open the wallets, then that's fine. Now, to their credit, uh, I believe, as reported by the, the marketing kind of news um, industry, that the the brand, and by extension, I suspect this communication team, reacted and created actually landing pages around the search term KN Carl. So, you know, you, you can kind of react and adapt. Talking of searches, so... The first three items were about Black Friday. It so happens that you and I are recording episode 90 on Black Friday. Yep. Um, before people accuse us of you know, carefully planning this, this is just you know, pure chance and coincidence. But the news from which that essentially you know, Black Friday is not what it used to be and that they're 
could be brands out there misleading consumers. We always had an inkling, but for this to be actually now analyzed and reported formally, it's embarrassing, right? Yeah, I mean, let's face it, Black Friday is an American thing that's really taken hold in the UK. And it's recent, isn't it? I mean, it's within the last decade that we've had this obsession with Black Friday. I usually have a look um on amazon for for deals but i haven't really found anything this year that I could say you know that's a genuine money saving here and i guess that at the moment when we're in this really quite desperate situation with cost of living you know the fact that people are googling terms like cancel membership and and i have to hold my hands up i have just cancelled my amazon prime because you know yes we 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 watch a few films on amazon prime but it's nothing like the number of films you watch on um uh, disney plus or on on um Netflix and something had to give um, and I think we've only bought five items from from Amazon over the course of the year to, and that doesn't justify the cost of Prime which has now gone up in price as well just mm. to get the free delivery so I took the decision I'm gonna I'm gonna um, dump it and if and when Lord of the Rings series two comes along I might join for a month watch the episodes and then unjoin uh, or resign or whatever the word is so yeah people are taking care at the moment and 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 businesses shouldn't uh, take advantage of people there was a, another kind of parallel story which is not featured in the news this week but i think it's important so in addition to people being more careful there's also at this time of year you know a massive increase in scams and people falling foul of actually very very well executed you know uh, email pushes or and um, now also be careful you know this is a message from google play don't download a mobile phone apps that don't seem to you to be mm -hmm. known mm -hmm. or do your research you know if if you see an advert on facebook for an app just go on google literally put the name of the app and look at the reviews look at what people are saying about it because you know you, you, mobile phones is the entry now for criminals into your bank accounts and, and more so i wanted to kind of quickly close the in the news segment then with this whole business of podcasting and what is happening with YouTube now claiming that they're going to become your you know friends to the podcasters Spotify who is now becoming the friends of video podcasters Adobe who wants to kind of get into it and um, they've actually done a bit of an interesting marketing uh, campaign where they are offering free products where one which can essentially transcribe your audio and clean it up and one which can actually test the quality of your microphone whilst you're waiting to be invited to be the first users of the um, adobe podcast but yeah i mean the the, the boundaries are, are blurred forever now you know youtube 2006 it was born as a video platform it's now claiming to be the best podcast platform because they have more users than Spotify. I, I, my concern is twofold. is this idea of does it actually ask you know content creator to stretch themselves too thinly or is it leading to confusion about whose brand do I turn to for a particular type of content? Again, it, it, we've talked about this so many times on the show that everybody seems to want to be able to be exactly the same as everybody else. Everybody wants to do everything. So, and everybody's copying everybody else. And the problem is from a marketing point of view, if you're the same as everybody else, you don't stand out. 
you've got to give people a reason to buy and my fear is that you know all of these blurred boundaries become so blurred that you know people genuinely won't know which is the best one now you know my initial reaction to reading that adobe thing was well why do they need to do that because they've already got adobe edition <laughs> you know that's one of the best uh, audio editing pieces of software that exists but i imagine that this will be a slimmed down version of audition and probably allows you to do the recording over the over the web to your guests etc a bit like they've got a cut down version of premiere pro it's called um uh, i can't even remember what it's called adobe spark or something like that so i can see that but it's becoming blurred and people are getting confused and when people are confused they don't open their wallets Mm. But, well, it's interesting. I mean, you and I, of course, have got the um, Two Geeks and Marketing podcast as a video long-form content on YouTube. We have, obviously, the audio-only version of Captivate, which is then distributed across the other podcast network. And, and that kind of works well. But it was always my, my position that YouTube is also claiming to be the destination for short-form content. And you know, I've mm. always said, well, that it will mean that you know the long-form version of 2 gigs won't be as popular as a 10-minute video on how to do something. We kind of were satisfied with that. Because podcasting in general is long-form, although I, th I think research, research from Pod News and the others suggests 47 minutes seems to be the, the median, it's back to that, which is, so are they going to create a, a new channel called YouTube Podcast, where all the podcasts are going to be in. And that's how to compete against Spotify, the same way Spotify is, relaunch, is launching video content in an attempt to attract different types of uh, content consumers. Yeah, no, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, because let's face it, they're going to have to ramp up their marketing to start differentiating themselves in some way. Excellent. So everyone, please let us know about some of the marketing news you've come across. Have you come across a KN car? Can you send us a picture as well? And what did you think of the Walking Dead finale? Are you sharing, you know, Rogers and my views? Or are you actually very, very happy and perhaps looking forward to the spin-offs? And if you can find a real, a truthful Black Friday deal, please send us a copy as well. Time to move on now and slow things down with the content spotlights. Now, in this segment, Roger and I surprise each other with a discovery from the interweb, an article, a podcast, a video, something that helps us reflect what it means to be a content marketer and creator in today's economy. So, Roger, I must confess, I glanced at the show notes and I'm so excited about your discovery today. Okay, Pascal, this is a book. Well, I've got the Kindle edition, and the title of the book is How to Tell a Story, the definitive guide to telling an unforgettable story in any setting, drawing on 25 years of experience from the storytelling experts at The Moth. Now, I have given a shout out to The Moth before on the show, quite a few episodes way back. The Moth is a podcast, and the podcast is derived from these live shows that they hold all over the world where people stand up on stage and tell a personal story, usually in about seven to ten minutes. It's quite a short uh, uh, format, but it's extremely popular. And the storytelling expertise of the people that, that get onto their stages is absolutely amazing. And they've been doing this for 25 years. And finally, here is a book which I think, having read about half of it, 
I'm thinking here, you actually have the definitive, and they are saying that, but I agree with them. This is the definitive guide to telling a story. Now, premise this by saying, preface this by saying that they focus on personal stories, things that have happened to you as an individual in your life, you know, how you met your partner, whether you had to face up against some sort of illness or some tragedy or whether you climbed a mountain or whatever it was. However, from what I've read and from the way I've listened to this show over the years, this will help you be a business storyteller as well. Undoubtedly, this will help you be a business story as well, uh, business storyteller as well. Now, interestingly enough, the book was released in the States back in April, and I was so excited when they launched this, but I couldn't buy it. Um, for whatever reason at the time, the Amazon Kindle edition wouldn't let you buy it in the UK. Uh, and it did say on the website, the UK won't be getting this until the end of September. And I just thought, what, what's going on here? I was getting a bit annoyed about it, to be perfectly honest. It wouldn't even let me order the actual print version and, and have it shipped over. And all is revealed now. And what's happened is that the the UK edition, I guess they've put extra work into it because... Yes, they've got 25 years' worth of experience and 25 years' worth of storytellers, but what they've done in the UK edition is they've included quotes, stories, anecdotes from people that we would recognise in the UK. For example, the author Neil Gaiman, who's written all sorts of fantasy books and has written episodes of Doctor Who, etc. So, okay, hats off to them for doing a genuine UK edition. And they've just tinkered with it a bit, I guess, to de-Americanize it. Um, and, and I think that that's really good. Now, what I'm not going to do, Pascal, because honestly, it's 400 pages long, this book. I've, I said I've, I'm about halfway through. It is superb. I'm just going to give you a couple of chapter headings mm -hmm. and 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 you'll see the depth that it's there. So obviously the first part of it is about developing the ideas of your story. And chapter three is mining your memory. And they give you all sorts of little exercises to do. Some of them are questions. Some of them get you to write lists. Some of them just get you to go back through cupboards. I mean, it literally is things like that just to, get the ideas, the memories. And once you've pinpointed a memory, I mean, it could be something from 30 years ago. They then ask more questions to tease it out of you to see if there's genuinely a story there. And really what they're looking for is something that happened to you, however small it might be in the scheme of things, which actually created change in you as an individual. So think about that from a business point of view. It could be the same thing. What was a moment when your business changed as a result of one of these memories? And then, of course, they're starting to tease these things out. So sub subheadings in that particular chapter are decisions, decisions. Was it all about decisions or looking for the ouch, i.e., was there a, a moment when it hurt, but then the actual result was better? Then they go through this whole way of once you've got the idea, chapter four is the foundation. So this is where you look for the stakes within the story, the what and the why, internal stakes, external stakes. Is it an anecdote or is it a story? Is it a little story? Is it a big story? Where's the arc? Can you summarize a story in one sentence? Then they start giving you narrative techniques in the next chapter, the materials, narrative stepping stones, finding scenes, you know, 
adding in bits of description. You know, I was stood on the on the um, train platform and a diesel train went through and I I caught a breath of those diesel fumes, you know, just giving people that emotion and that feeling so that they feel that they're there. Chapter six, magnifying that emotion, you know, adding in a bit of humor maybe. How can you get people to laugh? How can you get people to cry? Then, of course, a massive section on structuring the story. Is it chronological? Do you do it as a flashback? Do you do it as a flash forward, maybe, in some respect? Callbacks? Is there a smaller story within the story? And then you, they talk to you about how to start it. And a lot of this will re resonate with people like yourself, Pascal, who do presentations and stand-up. You know, what's that first line? How do you hook the audience in? And then once you've got the story, you've written it, you've got it, planned out they give you all these ideas as to how you can actually stand up on a stage or in front of your family or wherever it is to actually tell it so do you memorize it or do you use some other technique to familiarize yourself do you rehearse it stand, standing up and saying it out loud or do you sit and just think it through again a lot of these things here will help people who do presentations and then the last part of the book which i haven't read yet just goes through examples of the power of stories and it intrigues me because i haven't read, read these bits yet but things i'm looking forward to are the ripple effect stories from school stories from the world stories as an antidote that really intrigues me i wonder what that's all about and stories that evoke reflection so honestly if you tell stories either as a personal <laughs> storyteller or as a business storyteller and you know pascal and i are absolutely passionate about telling stories it is one of the best ways to market yourself as a personal brand i would say this is essential essential purchase the moth and it's only seven quid out on the amazon um, kindle so my goodness what an investment well, you know, we don't even need to know whether there's a Black Friday special. <laughs> this is a given. Interestingly, I was as I was listening to you, do you know what I love about it? They have also created their own language. They have created their own methods. Uh, for, for sure, we can all relate. I still, interestingly, I was um, I came across one of the uh, video that was pushed to me on YouTube was from Robert McKee. I still, you know, every so often glance back at the books about storytelling from Vogler and all the others, and sometimes even Spielberg. But it's nothing. There's nothing like because. Uh, sorry, the one thing that I keep saying to my customers when it comes to content creation is that the one skill that you have to nurture and keep improving upon is imagination. Yes. I think all too often people worry that they don't know how to use the keyboard or they don't know how to use the app so well. They don't know how to, to use all the different icons to do like a Facebook story or another. But actually, the, the, the spark comes from, from imagining you know, the story and then using systems to improve upon it. And I, I just love listening to you. Some of the terminology they've used and some of the structure is a bit different. Mm, and that's mm. what's going to really stimulate your, your imagination. But um, funny enough, uh, only a week ago with Denise, my wife, we were having a conversation about Christmas and Christmas presents. And I was saying, well, I don't think I need anything. I think maybe this year we should keep things simple. Well, this has changed pretty much now because <laughs> um, this book is going to go on the list. Thank you so much, Roger. So what is your content spotlight this week, Pascal? 
Right, so what I want to do this week is kind of close my SEO trilogy because this is now three episodes <laughs> in a row where search engine, the search engine marketing SEO is coming back. And uh, and I think this is a very good way to kind of close on that. So it's an article that has come from a platform that I don't think we've mentioned uh, often in the past, takeradar.com, even though I do read a lot of the article. It's written by Marcus Tober, who is the SVP of Enterprise Solutions for SEM rush one of the kind of seo and search engine marketing platforms and the title is as follows zero click search how should businesses respond to it so it's an article that is one of those where you could literally print like in the good old days and with a highlighter you'd be highlighting some of the the key passages and, and advice because this is all about this business of google wanting people to find the answers without having to click on anything whatsoever. So once you put the search term, so you mentioned a moment ago in the news about cheap recipes or talk about cancelling membership, what Google is working on is to show you the answer right there on the search results page and you have no need to click on to read more information, to watch or to listen, which is a problem for businesses twofold. Historically, we've been measuring success on click-throughs and how many people are going onto your website and how people, how many people are then acting on a website. But of course, if Google has taken the trouble to showcase a snippet of information from that very page, people can read the results of their search right there on the mobile phone or desktop without clicking through. You will not know that you've been successful. You will not know that you've been helpful and you're not able to measure success perhaps as we used to. So the article is interesting because you'll go into, you know, what is zero click search? Then you'll talk about why it has happened and what to do to kind of um, remedy. And back to this idea of Google's aspiration, there are many examples of zero click search that it's part of our daily routine. We just don't seem to use the term. So for example, Google Maps, you go on Google Maps, you find information, but you don't click on to look at the business information. Google News is another one, Google Shopping, Google Video, Google Job. So literally all the different search properties you can see on the tab, if you look on your mobile phone or your desktop, are all designed now for that zero click search experience. And Google is getting better and better to show you the snippets. So the, the advice given by uh, you know, the, the author here is fascinating, but it's all to do with investing into your online visibility. And I had to stop there for a moment because when I saw Marcus writing that, I had to smile because very much like you with your circle or circle of simplicity, I have my own proprietary kind of customer journey and funnel where we start with visibility, then credibility, then interactivity. So I was thinking, right, well, I'm glad that others are also seeing the need for you know increased visibility at a time where people are not clicking through the, the, the information. So in terms of the what to do about it, bear in mind that there's it's not going to change you know this is very much the investment by google and I, I can assume roger that yahoo bing and all the others will do the same step number one um marcus suggests we should develop you know better and more detailed bio personas learning from the sales team and from the customer service team as well 
And what is fascinating, he didn't say go and do some keyword research or go online and kind of you know find some information. He's literally saying talk to your colleagues who are literally in the front line talking to your customers and find out about their wants, their needs, their their, their kind of challenges, and even the questions such as I thought you you were KN not Kia. What's going on here? So you've got all that going on, some real you know real information, and then once you've understood the personas, then start to create content specific to those many questions and of course as has been the advice on this show before please please go in depth and go thorough you know the days of creating one you know article of a few hundred words allegedly to claim the traffic are, are truly gone so once you've kind of done the, done the traffic concentrate on then the execution of that content and FAQs are very, very important because they feed those kind of uh, zero-click snippets from Google. And of course, concentrate, which is interesting, back to the book that has been localized, you could say, concentrate on local queries. Google is putting a lot of money on their helpful helpful content update. So they'll know through, obviously, you know the, the data that we share through mobile phones and more, where you're located. And if someone has done a localized version of the question and answer, you're going to get more chance. Um, the recommendation, of course, is to execute on multimedia, so images, uh, video, and audio. But this is where it's interesting in terms of the advice for Marcus. Visibility is not just about the owned platforms and media. You've got to learn about earned media. So this is where we are into the world of PR collaborations and social media with, with others. You can't just rely on just your website, your social media, and your email marketing efforts to become more visible. You have to work in collaboration with, with others. So this is kind of you know uh, an article that you can read more than once. And what is interesting about the structures as well, and maybe that's go back to your storytelling, the first half of the article from Marcus reads more like an essay Mm. And you, you can really take it on board, almost like more journalistic in nature. But then the second half, it's all the same information summarized in bullet points, almost as though you wanted to copy and paste that second half and send that as an email to your colleagues to go, right, this is the exact summary, and we've got to be seen to be taking action. But in general, back to behavior, I noted some, some stats for, to share with you. So yeah, so according to this idea of not clicking through, so literally seeing the information on the Google search results and not moving through, that's pretty much 57% of all searches on mobile phones and 43% on laptop searches. So pretty much just half. So half of your uh, customers and prospect will see your information, but they will never visit your website. Wow. Wow. This is really interesting, Pascal. Such a lot to get through there. And um, I, I like the Tech Radar website. I'm mm. always in there. But, you know, I've always thought SEO is one of those sort of black art things. And you've done really well over the last few episodes to simplify it by highlighting some of these these contents, spotlights that you've done. And I think that, you know, I'm obsessed with simplicity and I do shy away from SEO sometimes because it does come across as being very complicated. And let's face it, some of the people who write about it, some of the mm. people who talk about it, amplify that complexity, probably for their own ends, unfortunately. So it's always good to come across something like this, which is nice and simple and easy to understand. Well, thank you very much. And I think you're right. You know, I, I am one of the many, many voices um, 
when it comes to SEO to say it's incredibly logical. It can be very frustrating, I, I grant you. It can be very, very time kind of consuming. But the logic of talking to your colleagues in sales and customer service to hear the um, the wants and needs, the aspiration, the anxieties and, and desires of your customers firsthand to then create information that is in line with their wants and needs, but also to put effort in localization based whether you are in the UK or in Manchester or whether you are in the US and so on. And just accept, and I think that's going to be perhaps what next year is going to be as a challenge for marketers. You and I have been challenged throughout our whole career about measurements and reporting, and we've done our very, very best to make the report a understandable, but also to lead to good decision making. But hearing what um, Marcus has written about, but also hearing what I'm from um, social media reporting, from email marketing, from the point of view that you know there's going to be some rulings where cookies will be disabled now throughout all our travels on the internet, we're going to have to learn to measure, report, but also understand that this is only almost like half of what we understand. And there's that second half, which is the behavior of customers that we won't know about. And actually, the, the only way we're going to start to know is to apply your um, advice, which is that obsessive in you know, a desire to understand your customers beyond just um, an Excel uh, table. Yep, it all starts with the customer. <laughs> Excellent. Well, listen, we mentioned a user term um, tech for the first time, I would imagine, in the content spotlight. But that gives me a lot wonderful segue for our marketing tech and app segment. Right, in marketing tech and apps, as you've heard, we review the solutions for mobile phones or desktop that can make life easier as a content creator. And I have to tell you, every single time for the last three years, Roger has managed to surprise all of us. <laughs> well, hopefully I'll surprise you again. Now, I have to give a little hat tip to uh, Dr. Claire Trevienne, who actually lives mm. not too far away from you um, in France. Um, so I, it's, not, um, it's not a hat tip, it's a chapeau, isn't it? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> that, that is the, I came across this the other day in a tweet. Somebody said chapeau to somebody. I thought, what? Apparently, that is a thing. It, people don't say hat tip anymore. They say chapeau, apparently. Anyway, okay. I don't know where that, that obviously is a, it's, it's come from France. But anyway, Claire, thanks for pointing these things out. She did this in a LinkedIn post. Now, this is a, a new piece of software on desktop, and it's called Turtle. But as, as always with these tech firms, they've dropped the E from the end of the word turtle. So it's Turt. L with the L at the end. Now, what effectively, when you look at this, it's just a version of PowerPoint or a version of Word for Windows, but, and maybe a bit like Canva, I guess, in some respects, but they've got some astonishingly good templates. And if you're wanting to put together, let, I'd probably say a little bit more of a professional looking, say, brochure, or maybe something that ultimately you might want to print. Or if you want to create a flip, you know, a flip mm. sort of book that people can flip on the screen. It looks like a book, but it's actually on a screen. They've got some re really good templates to allow you to do that. And they're colorful, they're interactive, and they really stand out. And I just had a look at this, and you know, I spent a long time a, a year or so ago on Canva putting together a little brochure for me as a speaker. And 
I was very pleased with the end result, but it was very fiddly. Whereas this, I could have done it in a fraction of the time and I would have had that flip and I would have had all sorts of different um, tools to play with. So well worth having a look if you're looking for an alternative to things like Windows and PowerPoint to create documents, I think. A lot of people will use PowerPoint, even if it's not for a presentation, they'll create a, a, a PDF out of it, but this is probably a better option. The second one sort of goes in tandem with this, and this one's called ThingLink, ThingLink, and they haven't dropped any letters out of this, so it's genuinely <laughs> spelled ThingLink. Now, what this is really good is imagine you put together a document in that Turtle software, but what ThingLink then allows you to do is to add call outs or add pop ups or add not pop up ads but actually just information pop ups you know like you hover over a, a question mark and it comes up with a little paragraph to explain what that means it allows you to do that sort of thing so i've only just discovered these over the last few last week or so and i've only started playing with them but it's it again it gets the creative juices going and makes me think do you know what move away from the traditional things like word and, and powerpoint if you're not actually doing a, a written document just words and if you're not just doing a presentation don't use them to create other documents use something like this and i particularly like those little um thing link call out gizmos if that's the right word so have a look at both of those turtle without the l and thing link spelled correctly Oh, do you know, I, I do like solutions like this because you're right. There are times when you are you have a, a clear idea of the message, particularly the audience, and you just know they need something a, 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 bit, a bit different or a bit extra and those platforms. And I would agree with you, as much as uh, I'm a daily user of Canva, when it comes to documents, particularly or document-based type information, it is very fiddly, isn't it? And uh, can, it can waste more time than, than gain. So I'd be trying those too. So for my part, I promise I would wrap up the SEO trilogy. So <laughs> there we are. So um, going back to the article that I mentioned uh, a moment ago and this idea of the zero-click search and the advice you know, given to us by Marcus Tober from SEM Rush, I read you know his article several times and given a couple of comments about Google Maps and his position pretty much like mine is that it's soon to become the sh next super app for small businesses and that idea kind of got me thinking about reminding people particularly this time of year where you need to be looking after your online presence your visibility and particularly therefore your google business profile which feeds the the details on google maps and the ask for a review function so i put the hyperlink to the article written by the google maps or google business profile team but you can literally now they made it so much easier roger go in within your dashboard and google business profile click and you're going to get a hyperlink that you can share you can even create a qr code we mentioned that before to request a review because those reviews are so so important and there's been tossed on tests sorry done uh, in the past the more reviews you have and the more recent your reviews the higher you are in the listing on google maps against your competitors so that's really something quite important the other thing that i've noticed as an aside as well on google business profile 
is when you go in, there's almost like a, a mini dashboard before the full dashboard. And the the way in which they organize themselves is very telling. And at the moment, Google is pushing for a live chat function on your Google Maps entry. So for some businesses listening to us today or watching, consider whether or not even just for the Christmas period where people, uh, number one complaint from, you remember, two weeks ago is not able to contact the store not be able to contact the business owners and that kind of things to maybe switch on your live chat for the next two or three months could be it could make a big difference. So on that very point about being contactable, the number one challenge for all businesses is about how your business information is being presented across a number of directories and, and listings. Um, SEO experts and beyond call this your local citation. So how is your business presented? Is the address correct or is it the old address? But what about your telephone number? Is it the right email address and so on? And the reason why you, you want to make sure that you are listed correctly throughout is back to first impressions you know, for the, your next customer. But in fact, Google also checks your local citations. And if there is a, a great number of mismatch, you're going to get demoted on the listings as well. Going to make sense, you know. So they're looking for Pascal Finoli and Associates, which is my, my business. And if across 10 listings, there are five to six different addresses, and some of that could be literally because it says road and not avenue, or it could be the telephone number has a plus 44, and then sometimes it hasn't. So all those kind of little mismatch makes essentially the uh, your ranking, you know, to, to be impacted upon. So there are two solutions to check how you are being represented online across many directories, and I'm thinking Yelp and many others. So they're a company called Bright Local. They specialize in local SEO. I put a hyperlink for everyone where you can literally use their database. You put your business details as listed on Google Maps, and they're going to compare and contrast with all the other listings as well. And well, of course, SEMrush, I've got their own local citation checker. So I think they should, it's only for those who get a shout out. So between those two, as well as a manual search, I would suggest, um, Roger, that people for this time of year should go on Google and enter their business name and look at all the search services from universal search to images to news and all those kind of tabs. And what is your Google CV? It is so, so important as part of your online visibility to be in control. And once you know what your baseline is as of today, you can then plan your content accordingly. I'm going to use these checkers as soon as we finish recording, <laughs> just to check that Roger Edwards marketing is actually working properly. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Because you might find that there's your, your addresses are a slightly different, but that the slight difference can make, uh, can really uh, help, you know, by you correcting it can help improve your, your ranking. Anyway, we say this every single time, and I take pleasure in repeating it. None of this would be possible without the hard work and vision of pioneers of the recent and distant past. It is time to move on to This Week in History. In 1956, CBS becomes the first ever network to broadcast from videotape recorder invented by Ray Dolby earlier that year. It was so successful that tape programming quickly became the normal method in broadcasting. And in 1963, the day after Kennedy's assassination, the BBC broadcast the first episode of Doctor Who. It's now been running for 59 years and will be celebrating its 60th in 2023. 
1982, American singer and songwriter Michael Jackson released Thriller, which became the best-selling album in the world and won a record-setting eight Grammy Awards. Wow. And in 1991, Apple releases its first public version of QuickTime Video Player to Mac users running System 7. Windows 3.1 users, remember that time, had to wait until April 92 to enjoy the real-time audio, video, and text player. Wow. Wow. QuickTime. Oh. <gasps> Man, I mean, we, we thought that we'd move into the 21st century by be able to watch videos, but very, very quickly, as a reminder to everyone, whilst it may sound like, well, of course, video, but with dial-up and computing kind of, um, you know, power, this was merely a 360 by 360 square on the side of a web page playing uh, videos. And I think it was only like something like 10 frames per second. It was like, it was really, really grainy, do you remember? And, uh, but we, we loved it, we, we thought it was exciting. And in fact, that's what, how um, movies decided to share their trailers online as well, thanks to QuickTime. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I nearly picked a different album this this week, other than right. Thriller. Um, what the first thing that popped up was was Pink Floyd's The Wall, which was actually released in 1979. I did think, should I do both? Uh, but I thought, no, I'll focus on Michael Jackson, because not only did he released this album, which became phenomenally successful. But I think the video for Thriller itself, which had the voiceover by Vincent Price and was mm. actually, you know, quite a lot of the zombie iconography that we have, and we've talked about Walking Dead today, can probably trace its roots back to the Thriller video. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the, and for me, I remember vividly, it was announced that Thriller was going to be shown on French TV, but it was midnight because it was deemed to be too scary for a, a younger audience. But of course, everybody stayed up till midnight, no matter, you know, the time. And actually, a friend of mine was probably one of the first owners of a, a tape recorder. So he recorded Thriller on the tape recorder. And I think we must have watched it about 10 times that night because you just couldn't quite believe what you'd just seen. Yeah, no, I mean, the makeup was remarkable. And it's probably, again, in the early late 70s, early 80s, there's a lot of groups and a lot of artists like Michael Jackson claim that they did one of the very first videos that effectively led to the creation of MTV. You know, I think Bohemian Rhapsody's um, tried to claim that spot. Video Killed the Radio Star by The Buggles mm. is another one that claims... but. You know, if you were to go back, I think Thriller was probably one of the very first examples of a video to, to promote a song being almost a cinema experience in itself. It was. And do you remember people, uh, as in the broadcast, were saying, oh, but it's just too long. No one's going to watch that. <laughs> uh, oh, it's just too long. It's not fair for the other, you know, kind of uh, music videos and so on. But it, it was such an event. I think the whole PR and, and the... I think actually the fact you had to wait till midnight made it even more exciting and, and more more daring. But I'm just realizing as I'm going through those uh, items, purely by accident again, we can't be accused of planning this so carefully. They are all kind of video content related because this <laughs> idea of in 56, you know, people trialed, it was I think a short program, quarter of an hour program, but playing a video cassette that would then broadcast, you know, this into um, TV sets across the nation. 
And then uh, I suspect in in eighty two when the thriller uh, video was out, it was pre recorded. I mean, they worked very very uh, for months on end with John Landis and the, the makeup artists and so on to kind of get that right. So yes, very very fond memories. But um, I'm still have this image of the um, the QuickTime player that was always very very clunky on Windows system. Do you remember that? I always remember QuickTime crashing my PC frequently. <laughs> you know, when when we were talking about Windows 95 or Windows XP or whatever, um, around that time, I think I may have actively deleted QuickTime from my computer because mm. it kept crashing the whole thing. And then we had Windows Media Player, um, yeah. which was an improvement uh, for, to a point. Very, very quickly, you are the Doctor Who expert and, and fan of this little duet. So, I mean, I take it next year is, is a biggie? Yeah. Now, it, it, it's a bit weird because um, we've just had the regeneration scene of Jodie Whittaker, hmm. uh, and th they effectively did that as a special episode, and that was to celebrate 100 years of the BBC. So to, cert to a certain extent, that almost feels like it was the 60th anniversary celebration because they also had um, guest appearances by people like Paul McGann and Peter Davison and, and Sylvester McCoy from the classic series. Uh, but it isn't. No, there will be celebrations next year for the 60th and of course the great big shock the shock ending of the Jodie Whittaker run was that they've already announced who the um the next doctor is it's Shuti Gatwa who um, people may remember from the uh, Netflix series Sex Education so everybody was expecting um Jodie Whittaker to regenerate into Shuti Gatra at the end of the episode but of course she didn't she regenerated into David Tennant and of course David Tennant has uh, already right. been the doctor so that was the big cliffhanger at the end <laughs> of the series everybody say hold on a second how can she regenerate into a doctor that's already been so that's going to keep us on the edge of our seats for the next 12 months because the 60th anniversary episodes won't be broadcast until November the 23rd 2023 Wow, that's a long wait for the fans. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad to say we won't have to wait as long for the uh, Walking Dead spin-offs. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, everyone, thank you very much for allowing us to have a, a little moment looking back into time. But um, yeah, let us know, where were you when you first saw Thriller, the video, the long-form content that people saying was far too long and one would actually sit there and watch uh, any of it? Let's get back to the present, Roger, with our creator's shout-outs. Right, Roger. So who is under the spotlight this week? Okay, I've given the shout-out for this person before, but I had to do another shout-out today. Louise Brogan. A lot of people know yes. Louise as a LinkedIn expert. She effectively has build, built a business helping people to use LinkedIn to promote their business and to become seen on LinkedIn as an expert in their field, whatever that field might be. Now, she posted a few um, interesting little videos and photographs on LinkedIn recently because she was invited um, and she lives in Northern Ireland. I should have said that straight away. And she's very prominent in the business community in Northern Ireland. And she's recently been invited to meet King Charles, King Charles III at Buckingham Palace to celebrate businesses in Northern Ireland. Now, you know, just looking at the photographs she published, there's one of her 
talking to King Charles, which uh, just amazing. Um, what a what a what a great achievement to go to Buckingham Palace because you've been recognised as somebody who is leading the way in your particular field. And, you know, I, one of the big problems about UK politics is that Northern Ireland always gets ignored mm. or forgotten about. And we've seen that with the utter fiasco of Brexit and, and you know, the, the still Northern Ireland protocol thing, which drags on and on and on. And it's so good to see somebody like Louise getting recognised, albeit not by politicians, but by by um by the king for doing good work and i just wish that the spotlight would shine on northern ireland a bit more than it actually does ah oh, this is a wonderful selection uh, thank you very much roger well equally i brought back you know somebody that has had a shout out uh, on this segment bob gentle the founder yeah. of amplify me agency and the author of the personal brand business roadmap version two this is why i wanted to bring it back i think we gave bob a shout out for the podcast series that is hosting but also we, we kind of um, did uh, give a shout out for the, the repurposing of this audio content but this roadmap and the effort is put into a 47-page guide <laughs> full of illustrations, full of quotes and suggestions and hints and tips. It's just an absolute delight. And, you know, at a time where there, are, there is a, a strata of the marketing population who is always looking for hacks and tricks and quick wins and trying to and clickbaits and all that kind of nonsense or you know kind of bizarre black friday deals it's nothing like someone actually putting the graft in <laughs> and this will have taken a lot of time to pull together and this is available freely you can just follow the link, leave your details, and and Roger will, will confirm. Bob will not spam you. He will not get in touch and try to sell you courses at a very strange price. He just literally, um, very much like Louise, I suppose, wants to make a difference, one bit of communication at a time. So I wanted to kind of give him the shout out for the hard work behind the scene, which is sometime, you know, you can consume this 47-page document, maybe in one sitting, just go through all the pages. But that would be lies, the hours, if not the days of planning. So thanks again, Bob, for that very generous offer fantastic shout outs both excellent right we have reached the final segment of two geeks and a marketing podcast film marketing just after this So today's selection is Knives Out, 2019 movie written by and directed by Ryan Johnson with an incredible ensemble cast. But before we go into the review of the marketing campaign, let's watch the trailer from Lionsgate. I suspect foul play and eliminated no suspects. I'm Detective Lieutenant Elliot, and this is Trooper Wagner. We just want to ask a few questions. We understand the night of his demise, the family have gathered to celebrate your father's 85th birthday. How was it? The party? Pre-my dad's death? Oh, it was great. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to request that you all stay until the investigation is completed. What? Can we ask why? Has something changed? No. No, it hasn't changed, or no, we can't ask. I'm gonna live. 
Till I die. You think one of his family walls walls killed? Is that what you're suggesting? You all love twisting the knife into one another. Up your ass. Oh, very nice. Matter of fact, eat shit. How's that? Eat shit. Eat shit. Eat shit. Smug smile. Definitely eat shit. Something. Spill it. I suspect foul play. I have eliminated no suspects. <laughs> I'm gonna it's a twisted web. We are not finished untangling it, not yet. What is this? CSI KFC? Oh, wow, that's such a good trailer, Pascal. And now, I know you haven't seen this film, so on the basis of just the trailer, before we've even discussed the rest of the marketing campaign, what are your thoughts? I'm not sure. I'm not <laughs> sure, Roger Edwards. And I, and I feel terrible um, saying this because all the ingredients out there, right? I mean, if you look at the cast, it must have been one of the most expensive movies made in 2019, <laughs> unless they all went for percentage of the uh, of, of the revenue. Um I'm going to, you know, wait until we've looked at, at the marketing. But on the basis of this trailer, I can now remember why it's been on the maybe list and probably on the watch list I've got on Amazon or Netflix. Can't remember which streaming service I've got. I've got it. And um, let's continue. But it feels to me as though it's going to be so humorous. Potentially, there could be a distraction. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. I'll say no more until we continue the review of the marketing campaign. Yeah, I mean, it, to me, it was a genuinely different style of whodunit. I mean, it's basically going back to the good old-fashioned um, Agatha Christie yeah. style. So you've got a big house, you've got a lot of people in the house, somebody gets killed, everybody's a suspect, <laughs> everybody has a motive. There's a detective who talks to everybody, and in the end, he gathers everybody together in a room and announces who the the murderer is and twi twisty 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 um daniel craig you know from the trailer that he's got a bizarre accent um, an american southern american accent which will utterly freak you out <laughs> as a as a yeah. james bond fan uh, but you, you get used to it and actually i think that is probably quite good because he could have been too much like james bond in the film and i think by giving him this ridiculous southern american accent they actually did mark him out as being different so let's have a look at the marketing campaign then i mean i i, I like some of the humor in the campaign and i like some of the elements it started mm. off i mean it was launched in uh, november 2019 they started talking about it um in july so quite early and the original the original was poster was really quite simple it simply had a magnifying glass with a knife as the handle of the magnifying glass as opposed to a proper handle the word knives out slightly um uh, magnified by the magnifying glass and then just this great big list 
of some of the stars, not all of the stars, but a great big list of some of the stars. So obviously Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Anna de Armas, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tony Collette, John, Don Johnson, Michael Shannon, Lakeith Stanfield, Catherine Lang, everybody. It's, as you say, one of the most expensive movies in terms of the number of actors. Um, I love the strap line. Everyone has a motive. No one has a clue. Um, it's good. Again, it, yeah. it sets it up as a whodunit. It, you know, this is a traditional whodunit. All the tropes are there, as I've already said. Then one of the things that I love about the next set of posters, and we've seen this before with the marketing for Death on the Nile. Obviously, yeah. in a whodunit like this, Pascal, you've got loads of characters, hence all of those actors, and each of the characters got their own poster. And the poster showcases the character. Um, for example, Anna de Armas is the um is the carer. Um Daniel Craig is the is the detective. But they also showcase part of the house as well. So you've got the character, and then in the background, you've got either the library or you've got the sitting room or you've got the um upstairs uh loft area or you've got the uh, the office that christopher Plummer sits in i absolutely love the color schemes for these posters and of course they were absolutely littered all over social media and they used these individual character posters all over yeah uh, social media I, I like that a lot. I mean, the execution is exquisite. I mean, the color palettes throughout, and you can imagine the very lavish interior of the house. But immediately, I am thrown back in time mm. into me playing Cluedo with my my, <laughs> yes. my, my siblings, yes. and and kind of go, well, who was it? In which room? Which 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 weapon? And already I'm warming to it because I'm thinking, okay, so this is somebody or this is a production team that understands the genre and understand, you know, the key elements and they're not afraid to play them back to you as it will not to the fans. So, you know, the, the, the assumption being that in a way the, the fans of that style of storytelling will know more than the characters themselves. Yeah. So so what I liked about the poster campaign is the first one was just the effect of the title with the magnifying glass. Then they did all the individual characters separately. And then finally, finally, in the month before the launch of the film, so this came out in October, was the, far, the full Knives Out poster, which actually had all of those things in it. So it has the magnifying glass with the um, handle as the dagger and all the cast as well. So I really like the progression of even just the poster campaign. I thought it was really, really quite interesting the way that they did that. I find the choice of typography and calligraphy you know, for the title Knives Out fascinating you know, because mm. it's not one that I've seen before. And I, I kind of saw a glimpse of, of reviews and some people saying what is clever about the film is that it's not committing to a particular era. Mm -hmm. It's It could be 50s, could it be 60s, could it be 70s. It's all in there somehow. And I think the calligraphy kind of suggests that, you know, because we are a huge fan of uh, the work of Agatha Christie. I pretty watched all the Hercule Poirot with David Suchet that, you know, you can get your, your eyes and ears on. And, and I feel as though they, they're playing back to that. Looking at that um, poster where they are all together, what I think they've done as well, it would seem, is reinforced this element of uh, wit and humor mm -hmm. with a strap line, mm -hmm. hell, any of them could have done it. Yes. Which I think it's, uh, yeah, it's back to this idea of 
clarity of message and clarity of, of intention with the style and the tone of the movie. Yeah. So then we move into the trailers. We've already watched the first trailer. Mm -hmm. um, the set, then, then they followed that up with two more trailers. Now, the second trailer was a lot more fun. It focused much more on the family and the, all of those individual characters, and it does showcase a number of the uh, humorous moments. Now, it's quite interesting because ma mainly with with um, trailers, if a film has two or three trailers, they're usually all always very much the same, aren't they? They use the same clips, mm. maybe in a slightly different order. They may focus on a different character, whereas this particular second trailer is really quite different to the first one. Yes, there are a couple of, of um, scenes that are the same, but it is actually a genuinely different trailer, which I thought was different and made it stand out a bit. Yeah, it's fascinating. And we and I have spoken about this, about right message, right audience, right time. The only example that I can can think of where trailers are very different was when we, we looked at um, that sci-fi movie. Was it called In Time with yes. Justin Timberlake, you know, where literally we discovered very, very different forms of storytelling. And to me is exactly what the world of communication is, is about. So you have the trailer to announce that a movie is coming very soon. I mean, they chose Thanksgiving as well as the date, which I think is interesting where they're trying to claim, you know, that festive period with, which is why we have that element of humor and, and tongue in cheek, but then so let's address maybe the, the need of a different audience for the different trailer altogether. Yeah, and then there was a final trailer in in the run up in the, in October, and this was much shorter. Yeah. And this again, maybe a little bit different. I've not seen before. This focused on the initial reviews, so they actually put the trailer out with comments that the press and other media had made about the presumably the 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 audience um, showings that they do, the research showings, and they used the um, quotes in that final trailer. I was looking and reflecting on, on the date because you and I have reviewed so many movies who have been the, the casualty of COVID and the lockdowns and so on. And, and literally, this was released uh, two months before, um, you know, essentially, it, it, all, it all began. So it had benefited from the theatrical release, which is, um, you know, I was reflecting on the 18 movies that you and I have uh, I've looked at. It's becoming rare now, not to mention a movie being delayed. Case in point, no, no Time to Die with Daniel Craig, you know, had been delayed so many times and so on. And, and for me, looking at the, the cast in particular, it feels as though it was one of those where the cast would, you know, I've been working very hard on the Bond franchise. In the case of Chris Evans, I've worked very hard on the Marvel franchise. I need something very, very different. Yeah. Both in terms of the character I'm going to literally play, but also in terms of the, the filming style, the duration of the filming, because um, this was a quick turnaround for sure. Yeah. Now, let's move on to the website, Pascal. Uh -huh. or, or, or should we say, let's move on to the website that no longer exists. Now, come on. <laughs> come on, distributors. This film is less than three years old, and you've already allowed the website to die. You know, you get you get the error. The, the website doesn't exist anymore. And it was, by all accounts, from what I've read, it was a really good interactive website. You've got all of those posters for all of those individual characters. You could click through on each individual character, learn a lot more about them. Um, in, in fact, we'll talk later about the TV spots, but each character also had a video. Mm. And some of the characters even had sub-websites 
for businesses that they were running. Um, so Tony Coletti's character was running a, a, a business called Flam, and there was actually a sub website about that business. Brilliant. And they've let and they've let it all go, Pascal. I mean, honestly, that would have been a, such a good example of good marketing. And we've got to find a, someone that works in the industry to explain this to us because yeah. we've reported that fact. I, I get it. If it's a movie from 20 years ago, I have some understanding, although it yeah. doesn't cost much nowadays to host a website. But three years, particularly with sequels that are pretty much going to be released very soon, that feels like um, a big mis you know, mistake. Now, what I found really interesting about the social media as aspect of this film is that they planned the campaign out not only to support the launch of the movie in November, but they'd also planned various iterations of the social media campaign to take them through the awards period okay, and then to take them into the following year. So we're into 2020 now and forget COVID and all of that. But obviously the DVD and the Blu-ray came out early in 2020 and the social media campaign morphed over those months to effectively take account of the um, environment. So mm. obviously, in the run-up to the launch of the film, the Twitter campaign, the Knives Out Twitter feed, was all about the character posters, all about the little videos of each of the characters and, and teasing the movie itself. But then, after the movie came out, um, there was almost this sort of... Uh, everybody became obsessed with Chris Evans' sweater his jumper oh, okay. that he was wearing during the film. And what they did around about um, uh, after the film had been going and we were heading into um, awards season is they actually changed the Twitter uh, name for a while and made it about Chris Evans' sweater. So they actually created this whole um, almost iconography around this sweater. And and they they then started encouraging people to take photographs of themselves wearing a sweater similar to that. And it was even a knives out challenge. And this created from, from the, the, the agency, I read the, the agency's website, you know, 2.8 million impressions and 158,000 engagements as a result of changing that um, Twitter feed to become about the sweater. And, and, and again, as they went into the uh, awards season, so Oscars and, and, and BAFTAs and everything like that, they even created some almost like joke posters. And, and there's one great one, which I've got on in the notes here, where there is actually a photograph of the sweater sat in a director's chair. And it's saying, for your consideration, best sweater in a leading role, knives out. I mean, that is a little bit wacky, but I really quite like it. And it certainly created that sort of, um, you know, momentum. I like, you know, I've been saying all along about, you know, platforms and tone of voice and this idea of social media, which is about conversation, but in the context of a brand, you know, Lionsgate and Knives Out and the audience. It's also complicity. And this reminds me, I suppose, you know, we now have the luxury of looking back to 88 movies, as we mentioned, and when we began recording this, it reminds me of when we looked at The Shallows. 
Yes. And where the, the seagull literally became a thing on, on Twitter. So is Twitter. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And, yeah. and so many people were saying, well, we need to have an Oscar or an award for the, the, the Stephen the Steven Seagull and, and that kind of things. But what I like about it, because, you know, you kindly shared the, um, again, the, the poster, is back to the effort. It's in line with everything else they've done from, you know, from July in terms of uh, the typeface, the color choice and so on. But the humor is just off the charts. Yeah. And and then the social media campaign morphed again. So after the awards series, they at the awards season, they then were heading towards the launch of the DVD and the Blu-ray, which was launched around about Valentine's Day in 2020. Mm. And and again, this is quite innovative, but they recut the trailer of the film to make it more like um, a romantic comedy. Now, within without giving away any of the plot, there is a bit of a relationship between Anna de Armas and Chris Evans in the film, and, and that's all I'll say. Um, but they recut the, the trailer to make it look as if it was a rom-com about those two. So again, really quite interesting, but tying into the launch of the film around around uh, Valentine's Day. So the the, the social media um, planning in ahead for this is is one of the best I've seen because mm. they they wanted to maintain the momentum way beyond the launch and they'd already thought about the support for the um, you know for the DVDs and the and the the media coming forward. Then there was the, again I said there's a hell of a lot of TV spots. I mean I could I I decided not to put them all in the notes, Pascal, because the genuine interviews with everybody. I mean that cast is huge. So an interview each with each of them. As I said, they each had a little video, not only a poster, a little video. Some of them had their own sub websites. So as I said, um Tony Coletti's character was selling flam. She um Walt was selling Blood Like Wine Publishing, so he got his own website there. Uh, Linda is selling a real estate business. She also had a little website. And for goodness sake, why did you take those down? I'm going to say it again. It's so <laughs> clever that they did this. Um, so the, the, there was a massive amount of TV stuff. And the final bit, and again, it was it was almost like a final trailer, they featured Ryan Johnson, the director, but a lot of this trailer is in black and white and filmed almost in a very Alfred Hitchcock style. Um, you know, it has the feel of a 1930s, yeah, 40s and Hitchcock, Hitchcock film. What was interesting, it was pushed extensively by imdb.com, uh, owned by Amazon, uh, so I suspect that there's a link for you. But it was back to this idea of, uh, it's, it's, I say it's rare, it's not really done as often as one might think to have the director to be front and center of, um, of video, you know, mm. typically you, it's the actors. Typically, it's kind of flying the wall behind the scenes stuff. But the you know the, the director or the, or the the production team is busy at work, and you can get a few words out of them. But that's it. But here, this was a carefully planned, storyboarded, and kind of uh, recorded video. And you're right, there was all the black and white, the scratchiness, and the kind of stains of the old kind of 35 mil film, which is back to this idea of. It's maybe a strength of the film where you can't quite pinpoint uh, an era necessarily. And judging by the trailers, I don't think there's any mobile phones to be seen or stuff like that. So I kind of like the idea where they're keeping it quite vague and it could just be um, immersed into the universe that they've created. Absolutely. And, and finally, finally, there was a competition trying to draw all of this content together. So it was called Get Your Cut. 
and it was announced in September, and there were clues hidden throughout the posters and in the trailers, and the prize was $250,000. And they, wow. and again, it's genius. They positioned it almost as part of Harlan, who's the Harlan Thromby, who's the, who's the, the, uh, the Christopher Plummer character. He was putting this together as part of his legacy. And, and they even, they even recorded a message from Harlan's personal attorney played by Frank Oz of him promoting the idea that you could win part of my fortune so overall pascal i mean i've seen the film you haven't i really enjoyed the film but the marketing campaign is is true to the style of the film quite witty quite innovative and i particularly just love the way that the social media carried way through and way past the original launch of the film i i I would agree and Back to what you just said, you know, the, this idea of um, creating a, a treasure hunt of sort. Uh, I'm already intrigued. I want to go back to the posters now. I mean, I know that <laughs> the, uh, the the competition is well over, so I have no chance of winning nearly a quarter of a million dollars. But this idea of creating, again, like a, uh, a universe within the, our real world, we've seen that example in, do you remember when we reviewed um, 10 Cloverfield Lane? Yes. And people could, you know, literally, once they discovered the number two in the room, the number and there was a recorded message and so on and this complicity with the the audience it's not it doesn't happen as often as one might think you know when you think back of everything we reviewed and typically the campaign is um it's fair you know it's it share a number of statements whether they are static images or posters or digitalizers and so on the social media is um, is fine you know not but whenever there is something little extra and that which is what they've done here it just makes for an overall you know better experience but to your point though it's for that very point it remains a crime literally a crime to not have that website still live today for you and i to review that is so disappointing and and by all accounts it was it was really clever and very interactive and they let it go Mm. my decision Roger Edwards, <laughs> is that we shall be watching Knives Out this weekend. Fantastic. And, tr- and the two, you know, the two things that really uh, tipped me over the kind of from maybe to yes were the character posters. Mm. Uh, I, I, ju- I just, you know, I would encourage people to go online and seek them out because they look stunning. And, and then the other thing was the social media and how they really, really extended the, the the world of Knives Out and his family and, of course, the investigation by Benoit Blanc. Although, if I had to make a recommendation, perhaps you should have been French or Belgian and not uh, American <laughs> with a name like this one. <laughs> Absolutely right. <laughs> thank you so much for doing the research and thank you um, for being such a wonderful co-host and thank you to you, viewers and listeners, for listening to episode 90 of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. Until the next time, please go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. I was Pascal Fintoni and he was Roger Edwards. Mm-hmm.